what are your qualifications? Ah, well, I attended Juilliard. I'm a graduate of the Harvard Business School. I travel quite extensively. I have people skills. I am good at dealing with people. You just don't know when to give up, do you? I could do this all day. The Matt Sodnikar Podcast. This episode is supported by the Warm Front Chest Warmer, and you're asking yourself right now, what is a Warm Front? Well, it is a thermal fleece bib for cycling, running, skiing, and we've even had customers that are commuting with it, just wearing it because they uh, want to be warmer, wearing it to their construction jobs. It's been sold all over the world, Australia, the UK, Latvia, US and Canada, even Dubai. We have a customer in Dubai. It's a company I started a couple years ago because I was sick and tired of being cold on the bike and not having enough stuff or carrying too much stuff. And literally with the help of dozens and dozens of people helped get the company and the product to where it is right now. It is essentially the Goldilocks of outdoor apparel. Not too hot, not too cold. If you get cold, put it on, you get hot, take it off, roll it up, stuff it in your pocket. It rolls down to smaller than a pair of socks. It is made by hand here in Colorado by my friend and business partner, Linda, with a collaboration from Function Apparel and Polar Tech. I guarantee it personally 100% if you don't like it, if it doesn't make your ride and your outdoor activities more comfortable, send it back, no questions asked. For more information and to get warmer, and prevent purple nurple, go to thewarmfront.com. That is T-H-E-W-A-R-M-F-R-O-N-T.com. Hey, welcome to the podcast. This is Matt Sodnikar. Thank you for listening. Uh, my guest today is longtime friend and cyclist Darren Williams. I had done a post a couple weeks ago in advance of the Colorado Bike MS ride that uh, if people donated that uh, I'd be happy to record uh, an episode with them and their experience about cycling or bike MS or really anything they wanted to talk about. And uh, Darren has been uh, involved with cycling and bike MS for years, and that's what I wanted to talk to him about. So Darren, good to connect with you. Uh, It was cool to hear from you, and thanks for making the time today. Absolutely, Matt. I was uh, happy to support your effort in a bike MS this year, and uh, and yep, I paid for this opportunity. Well, I want to tell everybody listening to you that I I would do it for free. I just thought it was like a, a, an interesting way to incentivize people because you know what I found is that people that I record with or interview they've all been fascinating to me and. I got such a kick out of um, just reconnecting with you. So again, thank you for the donation and it, it's my pleasure to talk to you. Yeah, absolutely. I love to talk about cycling and my uh, own personal health journey and my connection to MS through the years and uh, why I got involved in that effort. So I do appreciate the opportunity. Cool. Well, yeah, let's start with that. Cause I knew about your health journey and when you had, filled out the donation page, you talked about it. And I think it's very compelling and uh, I think inspiring to people. You know, I've struggled with weight a little bit in my life, in my life but um, take me through that. Take me through the history and, and when you say health journey, let's expand on that. Well, you know, I was always the tall skinny kid in high school that, you know, growing up the kids called string bean or bean pole. I'm six foot four. I know you're tall too. Um, 
And um, it, it just seemed like at one point in my life, I could eat as much as I wanted and, and never gain an ounce. I'd go to McDonald's and have a couple of Big Macs and a side order of chicken nuggets, you know. And, <laughs> uh, um, and then, you know, I think as, as inevitable happens, as many people have discovered uh, before me and probably written books about it and everything else and made money on it, but uh, your metabolism slows down. And, you know, I, I kind of started slowing down my college years, doing a lot of physical activity. I had been a high school uh, track runner and, and high jumper and, you know, had always been somewhat physically active and kind of started to slow down. And then I got married in the December year of my senior year of my high school, of high school uh, college, sorry. And, and um, my wife's a great cook, Western Kansas farmer's daughter. And, uh, you know, we were pretty much a meat and potatoes family and, and uh, which I, you know, still think is healthy food, but we were, we were probably going a little heavy on the fat side of things. And, and but I think just mainly slowing down and, and with physical activity, I started gaining weight in my twenties. And I, I went from about 200 pounds at my wedding to 270 by the time I hit 30. And, uh, he had an appointment with my doctor and he was looking at my chart and he said, you know, if you keep this up, you know, for another 10 years, you're going to be pushing, you know, 300 plus, uh, close to 400 pounds by the time you hit your forties, if you live to 40. And that was a major wake up call. And my second daughter had just been born and, you know, I really kind of wanted to see my girls grow up. Um, so I decided I had to do something, Matt. And, and I knew I wasn't going to go on a diet because I just loved food too much and, and uh, having a nice glass of wine with a steak. And uh, so I knew exercise was the key and I'd been there before. So I went out and bought a bike. I probably wasn't going to start running at 270 pounds. I was already having some knee issues and some back problems, uh, but bought a bike. And really, I'd say a bike saved my life. And and how serious was the 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 prognosis? I mean, were the markers that, that doctor had seen were like, you know, he he's projecting and speculating, but was he trying to scare you, or was it really like scary stuff that he was looking at and just going, dude, like forty is probably not going to be in your future? Well, start with family history. Both my grandfathers died of heart attacks. Oh. Uh, you know, so that, that, that's a key marker right there. Right. And then, it, you know, I don't remember all the specifics of my blood work, but I do remember him talking about triglycerides and I do remember him hearing the word diabetes. And I think he was talking about early signs of diabetes or pre-diabetic. And uh, so I think it was serious. You know, I just think it was serious health wise, not just about, you know, suddenly noticing well, I went had an office Christmas party and, and took a picture with this guy who was playing Santa Claus. <laughs> he stopped by and I saw the I saw the picture. I'm like, damn, I'm bigger than Santa Claus. <laughs> pretty sure he's got a you know, pretty sure he had a pillow under his under his coat. So, um, yeah, people started asking me. You know, people always ask me if I played basketball. Did you, did you play basketball? You know, because you probably get that question being tall. Mm -hmm. And suddenly people were like, did you play football? <laughs> you know, were you a lineman? Uh, <laughs> so my physical appearance definitely was changing, but at six, four, I can hide a lot of, you know, weight on this body. So it really was more the the health concerns. Yeah. I was kind of the same way I played. Um, I was a skinny kid in high school. And then, uh, when I got to college, um, I, I was like, bench JV. Like when I say I played these sports, like I, I participated, I wasn't good enough that even college was a, a possibility. And I had some really good friends. We had classes together 
and they would, we'd go hit the gym. And I think at one point, probably like my senior year of college, I could, I think bench 225 and squat 315. And it was a photo at, I think, uh, yeah, like a Christmas event or a wedding. And I looked and it's like, I recognized my eyes, (laughs) but that was about (laughs) it. And I just was like, why, why am I so strong? And I wasn't even ripped. Like I didn't look like an Avenger or anything. I, I looked like a lineman and I just was strong and thick and bulky. And yeah, I didn't, yeah, I, I probably got to like, I know I've got it in a spreadsheet somewhere, but I think I hit maybe like 240 at one point. And um, yeah, it just, it happens over time. You know, I've always said that uh, love makes you fat. yeah well there's probably some truth to that but you know i I was i'm glad i had that wake-up call from the doctor and and from seeing that picture and because here i you know i'm 55 years old now well we're talking 25 years later and so i beat that 40 thing and um and part of that was making a lifelong commitment to physical activity and and cycling i went on to eventually i've done three Ironman 70.3s. I've run 10 half marathons. Three of those were part of those half Ironmans. And uh, I've done 10 Ride the Rockies, uh, which I think is where I first met you when I was out and had moved out to Denver and was working for the beef industry and was looking for some team beef jerseys for me and some friends to wear on Ride the Rockies. I still remember those. I'll, uh, if I can't find a photo, I'll have you send me one when I post this, but to describe it to the, uh, the listeners, it was a fully sublimated cycling Jersey. That was a, uh, a large steak on a grill. And I remember, I think you told me this story that like some guy on ride the Rockies, like <laughs> rode past you and said that it, it looks so good, but he just hated seeing it because he was starving and hot and thirsty and <laughs> wanted a steak and he still had like 20 miles to go or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I get a lot of comments wearing those jerseys. Uh, I still, still wear it today, but um, you know, from people, everything from, Hey, I'm a vegan and, you know, strike up an interesting conversation about the uh, vegan diet, you know, actually had that happen on one ride in the Rockies one time I had, um, this gal come up to me at a rest stop. She says, I take it you're a carnivore. And I said, oh, what was your first clue? Uh, <laughs> I did steak on my, on my jersey. And uh, I said, so, you know, the kind of aggressive way she said it. I said, so are you a vegetarian? She said, yeah, I have been. I have been for 30 years and I'm not going to try. You're not going to change my mind. And I said, well, why would I do that? You're out here doing Ride the Rockies. You're obviously in good shape. Um, yeah, this isn't for wimps. <laughs> so yeah. she had obviously figured it out, you know, and, and, and that's one of the things that, that I am passionate about is that, you know, diet is a very individual thing and, you know, everybody has to kind of find their, their own way through it. Right. And what works for you exercise wise, cycling has been great for me since something I've been able to do long-term and not get injured. Um, you know, that something else may, may work for somebody else. And in my diet, it's not going to work for everybody else. So I didn't ever try it when I was working for the uh, cattleman. I didn't, you know, I was obviously advocating for beef as part of a healthy diet. And I, and I absolutely believe red meat, uh, lean meat can be a, a, a part of a healthy diet. But, um, you know, I wasn't going to try to tell some vegetarian uh, that, that they got to change their, their diet if they've got something that's working for them. 
but I had a lot of interesting conversations from those jerseys. So uh, that was kind of a fun start of our friendship together, putting together <laughs> those Team Duke jerseys. And, uh, and now I work for the California Almond Growers. Uh, moved out here to, Cal- to the Central Valley of California last year. And I'm, so, you, you know, where I lived in Colorado, Castle Rock, you know, I walked, I, I rode out my, in my driveway and was immediately encountering elevation gain. And um, I can ride for miles here and it's just flat as can be. It's really laser level flat in the Central Valley here, but it's just amazing agricultural region. And we grow 80% of the world's almonds right here. Wow. Pretty cool. Well, my friend Suzanne, who's a, a listener, lives in Florida. And when she would bring her cycling crew out here to ride, what I noticed about Flatlanders, and it doesn't matter where in the in the US you are, whether it's California, Florida, Texas, whatever, that they are so fast on the bike when it's flat that even pedaling as hard as I can in 5311 gears, they would drop me. And yeah, of course, the minute it goes uphill, you know, like even like an off ramp off the the highway, they're off the back, but it was stunning how the, the body adapts to whatever environment. And dude, I couldn't keep up with these people. And I was in great shape when we did, I think it was, um, courage classic and on the, anything flat, I felt like Wiley coyote and the Roadrunner just like gone. It just blew my mind. So, um, what was that first well, ride like when you got that bike? So you're 270 pounds. You had a, you know, basically a, a warning. What was that first ride like? Well, I'll start with, with buying the bike because I, I love this story. I walked into a local bike shop um, in uh, Kansas City uh, and, and met this young guy who just, you know, was one of those guys. I'm sure you've met him. I know you've worked in bike shops, but um, he was so enthusiastic about cycling and so determined to get somebody into what he loved that he, was, he wanted to make sure he got me the perfect bike. And, you know, I think he knew if he sold me like a high-end road bike that I wasn't ready for that. And so he put me on a, on a giant comfort bike. He said, first thing I want you to be comfortable. If you're not comfortable, you're not going to ride, you know, sit in the garage. And uh, I did my first MS-150 on that, on that giant Wow. Uh, comfort bike, uh, you know, up, upright. And, um, and it was, you know, all the guys on the road bikes were passing me by a mile 80, you know, whizzing along. I was like, okay, I'm going to finish this damn ride and I'm going to go buy me a new bike. Um, and I went out and bought, bought a road bike after that. But that first, you know, the first ride, couple of rides I remember, I remember the first time I went 10 miles and, and that and felt so good, you know, and I think 10 miles today, it's like, I'm just getting warmed up. Um, uh, and, and I was actually living in Virginia at the time. This is before I had moved to Kansas City. Anyway, um, there was, I lived on top of this hill called Beacon Hill. And I could not ride from the, top of, from the bottom to the top of Beacon Hill without stopping. That became my goal. And, you know, I, I remember the first time I got up that hill, all the way up that hill. and it didn't have to stop, you know, I just kind of had to learn that I, all I had to do is gear down and kind of spin up. Right. But I just didn't, I was such a beginner. I didn't even really understand that. And, and the feeling of accomplishment then, and then years later, 
you know this mountain, Mount Evans, right outside of Denver oh, there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I had the opportunity to ride with some friends, you know, to the top of Mount Evans, 14,220 feet. And I thought, Beacon Hill? <laughs> Whatever, <laughs> you know. Uh, but everybody has to start someplace. And, you know, you're not going to start off doing a century ride. You start off doing 10 miles. And, and frankly, a century ride is just 10, 10 mile rides, right? You stop about every. And on MS 150 ride, you stop about every 10 miles and eat some pretzels and chips or whatever have you and drink some water and go on to the next 10. And uh, that's how I kind of got through my first MS 150. Yeah. And that's what I've told people is just break it down, you know, whatever it is, especially a distance ride. And we've, our little teams have always sought out people that we know socially that are fun to be around that may have even just a, a casual remote interest in cycling. But, you know, I see this on like Facebook posts and things like that. Like, you know, it, call it like the, the new year's resolution syndrome, right? They just go in and go full tilt and don't realize that whether you're learning a language or learning to play guitar or riding a bike or going for a run, it's like, you got to build your body up to that. And it just breaks my heart when people go so hard and so fast that they're, they're sore and they get injured. And especially with a bike and the, the, the connections that it's had for me and the friends I've made on the bike or around cycling, like it's just so wonderful. And it's like, look, you'll get there just, you know, one mile at a time. And so it's, and to hear your perspective on going from Beacon Hill to Mount Evans, um, it's it's cool to hear. Well, I think goals have always been an important part of it for me, and and just kind of setting the next goal and signing up for a ride is a big goal setter for me. Once I sign up, instead of you know pay that fee, then when that alarm goes off in the morning, it's time to get up and go get on the bike. I'm more motivated to do it. And so that's one of the first goals I set. And then, and then, like you said, just a little goals along the way, um, in a long ride, you know, just get to the next stage station, um, you know, going up, going up Mount Evans, it's like, you know, every hundred foot of elevation gain was a goal, you know, <laughs> standing up to that big mountain. But, um, but you know, the feeling when you get to the top, when you get to the summit, Mount Evans or, you know, in Henry the Rockies have done Independence Pass and Monarch, you know, all the big Colorado passes. Uh, there's just no way to describe that feeling of accomplishment and, and, and everything, all the hard work that went into it suddenly just feels, you know, like a joy instead of, instead of pain. I completely agree. Uh, my, <clears throat> I took basically the 4th of July week off because the ride here was the end of June, the 29th and 30th. And had done a fair bit of training, riding, you know, mountain biking, road, and running, and hitting the gym. And I was looking at July fourth week, and definitely took Monday and Tuesday off to recover, and then got into weekend mode that Wednesday. And you know, you talk about the the feeling of accomplishment and just the general feeling of well being. And I felt kind of off that whole week because. I equate it to like a low grade flu if I don't exercise for a couple of days and it doesn't have to be anything major, you know, even a walk around the block or, you know, a cruiser bike ride. But I think that's what 
I wish I could communicate that better to people that when I think it's like a, a soft feeling of just blah, if people don't exercise and then the, the endorphins and the, the positive side of just the exercise is like, you don't do it to punish yourself. You do it to feel better. So like you look out the window and the, the world is like a glorious place. Like you can't wait to go out and meet people as opposed to like, I got to go to work today. Like it just, it, 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 it takes off the rough edges of my perception of the world. And I just am such a happier person. Oh, I love to start off a morning morning with a, a nice, you know, just vigorous bike ride, even if it's 10 miles and just ride hard and get that blood pumping. And before I go to the office, I feel like my brain is sharper. Uh, every, you know, everything is sharper throughout the day. But, you know, one of the things as you were talking there and thinking about motivation, uh, when I got into MS 150 multiple sclerosis fundraising um, on my first ride in 2000, you know, I was one of those people. I was like, oh, I'll just pay the the minimum, whatever. I think it was 300, and and not raise money. But then I decided to send out a letter and just an email to to some uh, you know family and friends, and and all of a sudden I started getting these responses of people saying, oh, you know, I have I'm so glad you're doing this, and I have an opportunity to participate because I have a a friend or a mom or a family member who's has MS, and and then on that first ride, I met people, you know, who were living with MS, a guy named Rex Brick in Kansas City, who rode on a recumbent tricycle with MS. He could barely walk. And he got on a recumbent tri and, did, and, and was able to do a 150-mile bike ride. And, and I was like, you know, it puts a whole new perspective on that pain that you're feeling about 8 mile <laughs> 80 of a 100-mile ride when you start thinking about somebody who's challenge every day is getting out of bed and and even being able to to get themselves dressed and and i really became very motivated by those stories of the people i met and then i had a unique opportunity in my career i was working for a pr firm in kansas city and uh, one of our clients was um, a company that makes copaxone which is one of the leading drugs for people uh, living with ms to help them sort of normalize helps normalize your life and then I met some truly amazing people who were really just sort of everyday athletes, but people living with MS and accomplishing amazing things. Uh, a woman named Wendy Booker, who was setting out to hike the seven summits and, um, and eventually succeeded at living with MS. Um, <clears throat> Kelly Girl Sutton, who was a NASCAR series truck, uh, race truck driver, which is, which, I don't know if people people know, but that takes a, a big toll on your body and the heat in uh, in racing involved in racing and being in those suits and heat can be very debilitating to people living with MS. So just I mean overcoming amazing obstacles to <clears throat> to do what she wants, what she'd love to do. And um, and Clay Walker, a country music star who I just saw is performing here at the, at the California State Fair next week. Um, diagnosed at an early age with MS, thought his dream to be a country music star was over. And, um, but uh, he's still out there today playing country music and uh, overcoming amazing obstacles. And, you know, when you see people accomplishing those kinds of things, it kind of puts a new perspective on, on your own life and your own accomplishments, you know? (laughs) 
Yeah, it really does. I think my first, I rode um, bike MS in 93 and it was on a, a tiny Trek 330 that didn't even fit me very well. But, um, and I, I took a break from it for a couple of years and came back like in um, early 2000s. But I had that similar experience where I had done maybe a handful of centuries, but never back-to-back distance days like that. And I remember crossing the the finish line, uh, wherever that event was, probably Broomfield, if I remember right. And there was uh, an, a volunteer <clears throat> who was in a motorized wheelchair and handed me the, my finisher medal to get across the finish line. And I just lost it. You know, I was kind of um, just pump full of endorphins. And uh, I would say when I say struggle, it's all relative. Right. And it was a struggle for me to get there. I don't know if it was the heat or the legs or the cramping or, or whatever it was. And quite honestly, that whatever those memories were, the only thing I do remember was just the, um, that woman just said, thank you for riding. And I couldn't even speak. I just grabbed the metal and I had to go find a, a quiet spot in the parking lot and just pedal slow circles over there just because it was the sense of accomplishment, but also really doing something uh, outside of myself for somebody else. And that's, that's why I keep doing it. I've got friends with MS and I came at it kind of casually, just friends wanting to do kind of, you know, let's just give back. Let's do a charity ride. But like you, the more that I am involved and it's like, Oh dude, I had no idea. Or, you know, so just the, the giving back and something bigger than than myself. But yeah, it's the perspective of that, right? Like what, what do I have to complain about at mile 60 when it's hot? Like <laughs> I got, I'm going to keep my mouth shut. <laughs> <laughs> well, your story just gave me chills, Matt. And it just reminded me of, you know, so many of those kind of similar encounters I've had. And after I moved, another cool story kind of on the MS journey is I, after I moved to Colorado, um, before I met you, I was, well, I, I guess it was after I met you because I was wearing a Team Beef jersey down at the uh, Elephant Rock ride, as you would know, the, the ride down in Castle Rock. Mm-hmm. And um, these two guys came up to me and they said, that is a cool jersey. Where did you get that? Because you know that jersey stood out, as you talked about before. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and I said, well, I work at the National Catamounts Beef Association. And they said, well, you must know our brother, Randy. And these two guys uh, and their brother, who I worked with, uh, had a sister who uh, died from complications from MS. And they had started Patty's Pack. And so I know oh, you're riding yeah. the bike in us, Colorado ride, you know Patty's Pack, because they, are, they have grown to be a huge team, um, started by Patty's daughter, uh, Hannah, who's just a, such a beautiful a uh, young woman person. Um, and uh, so these guys recruited me to join Patty's Pack. So here I was back doing MS rides again. I thought maybe uh, after leaving Kansas City, I was done with that part. But um, got got right back into that riding Colorado. And, and you know, riding with Patty's friends and family and her, her daughter, Hannah, and her brothers, Tim and Ed, and, and uh, all the family members, there'd be nieces and nephews and well, I even rode with uh, this young kid um, one year, Ty, uh, who was, uh, I think, would be cousins with Patty. Anyway, he's now a pitcher for the San Francisco Giants. Very cool story. Oh, wow. Um, met, him, 
met him when he was a high school pitcher and he's made his way all the way to the to the big leagues but you know you're never going to know if you're going to meet on those rides but they again coming back to you know that these guys trained or like went on one ride i think before they did their first ms 150 and suffered to it and and now they they learned that lesson that uh if you want to enjoy one of those rides you sort of need to put in some miles ahead of time um <laughs> But, but they did it out there, you know, 10 miles at a time, just like we were talking about before. They they, they eked it out and, and crossed that finish line. But uh, if there's somebody out there listening that's just looking for some motivation in life or motivation to be physically active, signing up for an MS-150 bike ride is is going to give you both. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, and I, I tip my hat and all due respect to people that, um, come off the sofa, like you said, like one training ride and they, they pull the bike out of the rafters and do that because that is so much harder than you look at, if you watch the tour de France, which is on right now, it's like uh, mid July when we're recording this, if you watch the tour de France, like that's difficult, but that's all those guys do, right? They're riding a hundred miles and yeah, it's fast and all that, but that's what they do. And if you're a salesperson or an accountant or teacher or whatever, and you pull that bike down and you're going to ride 150 miles over a weekend. Like I, I drive, I ride past those people and they have my utmost respect for doing that because I, I know how hard that is. And just to, you know, just simply with the, the, butt in the saddle, <laughs> you know, which never gets great. It just gets slightly better. I, I admire those people so much. And, you know, I was thinking about the mega sore asses that have ridden that on single speed cruiser bikes. I'm like, there ain't enough money in the world to get me to do 150 miles on a cruiser bike. <laughs> <laughs> I ran into a kid from California on Roger Rockies one year doing ride the Rockies on a, uh, on a uh, three-speed beach cruiser. Oh, <laughs> <Now> <laughs> uh, that takes some guts. He showed up a couple years later with his girlfriend on a tandem beach cruiser. I just, it, you know, I, I love, that's one of the things I love about cycling. You're going to meet some real characters and uh, meet some great lifelong friends along the way. And um, it, it, everything, every ride the Rockies ride I've done, I've met you know, some just cool people from all walks of life. And, um, uh, so cycling is, is a lot more than, you know, just getting out on a Saturday morning and going for a ride and getting some physical activity. It's, it really, uh, has added, added a lot to my life and relationships as well. Yeah. I, I have played, um, pickup basketball. I've played racquetball, softball, of course, you know, in company and personal leagues and, and pickup hockey and stuff. And the bike has been the, like unbreakable cement between so many people because especially on the road, you've got nothing to do except talk. You're just kind of riding along. And I think there is a definite bond in the suffering, right? Like if you're going, if you're riding up Mount Evans and you see your buddy either ahead of you or behind you, like a couple of turns back, it's like, we are so connected we we might be insane for doing this but we're connected in a way that's different than oh like we like the broncos or you know we're we're into whatever like you're just out there i think the misery reinforces friendships and yeah i think to, to reconnect with you was just one of those things like oh man we've done training rides and you know it was like it's in 
it, it's like I saw you last week, like just talking to you again. And it's just, I think from spending time just on two wheels out on the road of the path, it's, uh, it, yeah, my, my, I couldn't imagine my life without the bike and like what it's done. Yeah, my brother and I actually have, re, you know, not reconnected. We've always been connected, but uh, connected in a different way through cycling together in recent years. Uh, and particularly after I moved out here to California, he lives here in California, and we've been doing some rides together. And it's just a different way to connect with a family member. Uh, we we don't talk about the same things. Like you said, we're talking more about you know how much our butt hurts or. <laughs> or, uh, you know, how much, how great that beer is going to taste at the end of the ride and, um, and then enjoying that together. It's, just a, it's a different dimension, different type of connection. The only people that I've cut out of my writing circle, and it has nothing to do with ability because the thing I noticed early on is there's always somebody faster. There's always somebody slower. Right. And you just are where you're at. It's kind of, I'm not trying to be Zen here, but you just, you are where you are. But the ones, the people that I won't ride with anymore are the ones that are just complaining about it. And it's like, look, I know it's hot. I know this hill is steep. Like I'm right beside you. And <laughs> does the, does the complaining actually help? Right. It's like, you know, my best ride crew were down in Santa Fe doing the century one year. And it was like a wind tunnel, man. Like it's coming out of the, whatever direction that was. And we're on this straight road in New Mexico. And we just started laughing because we knew it was just ridiculous that it was so hot and so windy, but what else are you going to do? Like, I mean, getting pissed about it, that's like, diverting energy from critical systems. And so like the people that I ride with all the time are like, it could be two degrees on new year's day, or it could be 95 with a 20 mile hour wind. And we're just like, yeah, we chose to be out here. And like, isn't this great? Like, you know, Lieutenant Dan on the top of the, uh, the mass and forest gump, like, is that all you got? <laughs> you know. <laughs> I'm, I'm laughing along with you because I, I have a very similar story that back to that guy who sold me my first, my first bike that I got serious about riding. I was doing this, this ride around Lawrence, Kansas called the Octagenta in, in the fall. And it just was a, one of those days that wind was howling. It felt a big square course, but it felt like the wind was in our face, all four directions. And <laughs> um, I see this guy toward the end of the ride and you know, he's, he's riding past me. He probably started an hour after me you know he's uh, laughing me toward the end and and i'm like oh my gosh eric what do you think about that win and he goes yeah isn't it great it's just like in your face <laughs> <laughs> here i've been cussing it for the last 20 miles and i thought what an attitude you know this guy's just loving it because it it's a challenge it's you know uh i don't know that he's overcoming i I, that kid and you know, he got me into cycling i can't remember i can't imagine how many people he's turned on to cycling but just that enthusiasm and that passion um it, it just puts a new perspective on it again um uh, as we've been talking about throughout this time kind of having a different perspective on things <laughs> and uh and i love that i love that well just, <clears throat> in the face of a daunting challenge you know right Right. And it's that, it's that mental attitude that makes all the difference, right? It's whether 
you know, you're in control. The only thing you're really in control of is your reaction and your emotions. Right. And feeling like this is torture or suffering. Like it doesn't help me out at all. Like I, I will give myself, you know, a minute or two of like a pity party. And it's like, you know what? A, like I said, I chose to be out here. B, there's people that would give everything to be here. And, you know, whether it's servicemen and women or people with MS or cancer or, you know, whatever it is, it's like, holy cow, like I am the luckiest person in the world to be getting rained on, <laughs> you know, at this moment. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. The, the you know, and, and feeling the pain, you know, you're alive. Uh, oh yeah but but you know and it, I'll, I'll be the first one to admit there have been times where i've been on a bike and, and 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 riding up a hill and just thinking you know what in the world why did i do this it, my last my last half iron nine triathlon i i just you know getting toward the end of that run and, and just thinking i don't know if i can take another step but let alone go this last 5k and you kind of go through this emotional deal and you cross the finish line, you're like, okay, never again. I'm not doing that ever again. And then, or I mean, when you're heading toward the finish line, you're, you're thinking, I'm never doing this again. And then you cross that finish line and it's just not too long before you're thinking, okay, what's next? Uh, what's the next challenge? What can I sign up for and, and tackle and accomplish next? You know, sometimes I think, you know, I, in the workday world of going to the office and sitting at the desk and working on the computer, you can go home at the end of the day and, kind of wonder what you accomplished. But when you cross that finish line, you know exactly what you accomplished. Oh yeah. There, there's no, there's no gray area. It's black and white, man. You have a time, you have a distance and it's your willpower and muscle power that did it. How hard was that yeah. first Ironman? Where would you rank that in, in your, in, in like the difficulty scale of your endeavors? Well, was, I did the Vine Man in uh, Sonoma, California. A friend of mine in, in Kansas City who I'd been involved with in that, that very first MS ride uh, with the cycling team with my church, uh, she says, oh, well, you should try triathlon next. And so I signed up for this little uh, sprint triathlon outside of Kansas City and kind of the swim was in kind of a big pond, um, about 550 yards swim, I think, and I nearly drowned. I just oh. I had no idea what I was getting into with when I say that I mean there were people out there obviously in in kayaks and everything that would have pulled me out but I, I nearly pulled myself out of the race because I wasn't sure I could finish the swim and um, you know kind of went into a panic attack mode and just getting you know I don't know if you've done triathlon but man at the beginning of that swim you're getting kicked and shoved and you know hit in the face and and uh, it just threw me off. And, and I'm glad I didn't raise my hand and have him pull me out because I, if I didn't finish that race, I never would have gone on to the next one and then the next one and signed up for that first uh, Ironman 70.3. But it was definitely a challenge. It was a hot day in California. It was uh, in the upper 80s, low 90s by the end of the race. Um, but it was beautiful. It was in wine country. The swim was in the Russian River. You swam upriver for the first half. A 1.2 mile swim. Uh, so for about the first half mile uh, upriver and then turn around and go back. Not as bad as it sounds because this is in uh, 
in June in, in California, it wasn't, there's not a lot of flow in that river. Mm, okay. But it, it was actually pretty scenic. And then riding the bike through wine country, it was just rolling hills and beautiful. But the run was the challenge. We got to the run and it was hot and it was midday sun. Uh, I think I started the run around noon and finished it too. And, uh, and that was brutal. It was just very difficult to stay hydrated. Um, my left foot felt like it was going to fall off by <laughs> by the end of it. But my brother was there and he comes up and he's, he meets me about a mile from the finish line. He's wearing shorts and flip-flops and kind of start jogging along next to me. Everybody's cheering, going, great job, guys. I'm like, no, he didn't do it. <laughs> he just showed up. Um, but uh, that's probably one of the most difficult things I, that I've accomplished is really just gutting it out and finishing that run. I was a half an hour ahead of schedule going into the run and lost every bit of that on that run that day. And could have been discouraged by that, but overall really met my goal time, actually beat my goal time by two and a half minutes. Um, wow. So what, what I what I, I was ahead of schedule on the bike, lost it on the run, but it all, but it all uh, evened out at six hours and 27 minutes and 23 seconds, I think. But, you know, just going, I think anything, whether it's a long, you know, it's a century ride or a marathon uh, or a 70.3, going your body, you know, that many hours in a row. And, um, the challenge of staying um, hydrated and fueled, I, I think, are the biggest challenges when you start taking on something like that and you kind of go into the next level. You know, people who do those, the full Ironmans, I just uh, have this immense respect for somebody who wants to take it, tackle something like that or the ultra marathons. But, but they'll tell you that, that, that it's really all about fueling and how you fuel your body. And uh, so here comes the shameless plug for California almonds because uh, I moved out here last year to go from beef to nuts uh, to work for the California almond industry. And, um, and I've always enjoyed almonds as part of my diet because I knew that I was going to get, you know, six grams of protein and one handful of almonds and, you know, you can just stick them in a plastic bag in your shirt, back, in your uh, shirt pocket on a bike. Um, very, very, very handy to carry around. So beef jerky and almonds are, and almonds are two of my favorite on the go snack foods because you're getting good protein and, uh, and nutrients that your body needs to stay fueled. And, and then when you get into the, the longer distance cycling and more intense physical activity, that's what it becomes all about. Yeah, I completely agree. <clears throat> and this is not, um, I'm not a paid endorsement. I don't even know if I have to say that. I don't even care, but like, that's the change <laughs> that I've made in my diet for the ride this year, because, um, I met Vinny Tortorich uh, a couple years ago and he talks about no sugar, no grains and things like that. And, and when he was doing the, uh, like, a, uh, I'm blanking on the ride. It was like a 200 mile race through death Valley on the bike. And what knocked him out a couple years in a row was like the bubble gut from all the sugars and stuff. And this year for bike MS, I made a, a conscious difference in what I was taking. Like I, I still put coconut water in my bottles and I put two gels in each one of those. But what I carried this time were um, Epic bars, uh, some bison and some beef and definitely, um, I actually stopped at a seven 11 and got a thing of cashews and a thing of almonds. And I think not having the, the 
glucose or fructose or sucrose or whatever it was. I mean, I still kept a little bit of sugar on board, but focusing more on the protein side of things and a little bit less carbs, it was the best I have felt. And the, the road conditions here in Colorado, I guess the weather conditions like May and June, like it was springtime late, like cold and wet and damp. And I didn't have the miles that I normally do, but yeah, I, I would totally sign off on, you know, the almonds and the jerky and like, uh, like, you know, uh, whole meat bars, whatever, but it made a huge difference for me, man, especially at the end of it, because I avoid sugar a lot just in general and my guts felt so much better. So yeah, I'm, I'm on board with almonds, Darren, for sure. <laughs> well, um, I'm not a dietitian, and, and, and if you're, you know, going to get an in intense physical activity like an Ironman, I, I I would actually recommend seeing a sports dietitian and having them work with you on this. But, but but we do know this. We do, you know, there there are short-term energy sources and there are long-term energy sources, and you know, protein for is more fueling for the long term and for recovery. And that's the other thing. You know, you get you get to the end of a marathon and they hand you a banana and a bagel and you get you don't really need carbs at that point. I mean, you do need some carbs, um, but it's also important to get some high quality protein into your body at that point. And, and, and both beef and almonds would be uh, great sources of protein that would be, you know, you can have beef jerky or a bag of almonds in your, um, uh, your runner. And, you know, you have the bag that you can send to the end, uh, your little kit. Mm -hmm. and uh, have that in your kit at the end of the race. And that the protein is actually what your muscles need at that point. But I'll, go, I'll stop there because, as I said, I'm not a registered dietitian. I don't want to get myself in deeper than uh, my, expertise, <laughs> my, my expertise level. But, uh, but, you know, I have had the opportunity working both at Almonds and working at Beef to work with dietitians, with a lot of dietitians around the country. And, uh, man, if anybody out there is struggling with their weight, um, or health issues like diabetes, um, or heart disease, you really need to go talk to a registered dietitian and they're, they're easy to find. They're in the community. They're all over Twitter, <laughs> but, uh, but they're easy to find in your community. Um, and you can go to, and this is not a paid endorsement either, but eatright.org, which is the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics website and put in your zip code and find one in your area. But, my daughter at one point as a teenager was struggling with her weight and took her to a dietitian and got some really good, you know, sound advice. So uh, a little side, side note there on, on the importance of nutrition to getting ex expert advice. And there's a lot of advice on the internet these days on diet and health, but if you want the real scoop, go to a registered dietitian. Well, yeah. Cause it's so specific, right? Like, you know, if we're talking, um, everything from shampoos to whatever, every, every, everybody and every body is different. And like I had mentioned earlier about the, the new year's resolution syndrome, you know, the hot diet comes out and people will jump on board and it's like, maybe that's not even correct for your, your makeup or your blood type or your, or whatever it is. And, yeah, it's just because something's popular doesn't mean it's pertinent to you and your body and your performance, right? And I know that you know I've been doing intermittent fasting for a couple of years now and have definitely upped the protein and fat intake that I have. 
it took a while to transition to that and it's made a, a difference in my life. But if somebody tried the program that I did that Saturday for bike MS, where I had just a couple of cups of coffee and a, a Epic bar, that would probably smoke a bunch of people because their body wasn't used to it. And so just because it works right. for me, yeah, you're absolutely right. Cause it works for me or it works for Matthew McConaughey. It doesn't mean it's going to work for Darren or your brother or whoever. So yeah, get, get educated, right? Well, one thing you remind me of is you don't ever want to change up your diet on the, on race day, right? Don't oh God, no. Drastic, <laughs> um, you know, get, do, stick with what your body's used to, but, um, you know, everybody's going to react to different foods, different ways. I think that's, that's where the whole diet and nutrition world is going is, is more highly individualized advice because we're, we're, we're clearly not all the same. And, uh, and we, the more we learn about the gut microbiome, the more we know that everybody's gut is different. And, um, you know, some people are going to process lactose better than others and, or, or meat or what have you. So find what, you know, find what works with you and stick with it for sure. But, um, you know, it's, it, it, I think just throughout life, whether we're talking about intense physical activity or not, I think finding the right combination of fuel and physical activity for, for your body is going to enhance your life. Yeah, totally. When you were talking about your, uh, your brother running in flip flops, it, it took me back to my very first Santa Fe century. And I had a, had a road bike, it's probably 2001, 2002. And I had my road bike for all of about six months at that time. And me and my buddy Jeff were like terrified of the century. And, uh, my friend Kent and Mark were great stewards and guides for us. And we we're coming up, uh, <clears throat> it was up to mile 90 in the last rest stop. And I remember just groaning up this hill, just grinding and suffering and all this. And I see this grandma and she's on this mustache bar bike. She's wearing gardening gloves, <laughs> a floppy hat, right? She's got a basket on the front of this bike. And what I didn't know is that they had like a five mile, a 10 mile, 30, 50, 60, whatever, like a whole <laughs> bunch of different routes, right? And so I'm like just struggling to stay alive and finish this ride. And I see granny and I barely pass her, dude. And I'm on an aluminum road bike at the time. And she's got the gloves and the floppy hat and the basket. And I just was like, what the hell am I doing, man? Like this, I just now caught granny and she rode a hundred miles on that bike. And like what I didn't know is that, she may not have been part of the ride. She might've been riding to go get flowers or something. <laughs> I, you know, somebody pointed that out over beers later that night. I was like, man, I got my ass kicked by grandma on a, like a grocery getter. And they're like, no fool. She didn't. <laughs> well, you know, you know the, the thing I've noticed about those kinds of rides though, is that there'll be people you see out there and you think, what in the world? Uh, how are they doing this? On Ride the Rockies, there was this DJ that would always be at the, the lunch station and, and um, he would always do a contest of the oldest writer in the, in the area at the time. There's always somebody out there, 70, even 80 years old. And, uh, and I hope I'm one of those guys who's out there at 70, 80, you know, doing the ride like that. But 
I think it's cool that, that cycling is something that you can stick with uh, well into your later years. You can stay healthy. But, um, yeah, I'm not even sure why I went down that path, Matt. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. You know, oh, getting, getting smoked by grandma. But, um, you know, I got over a long time ago. I got over uh, getting smoked by women because I get smoked by women in every race I've ever done. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, and I'm not out there, uh, to win anything. I've never been a podium finisher. I'm a, uh, I'm just out there competing against myself and competing against the finish line. I just want to get there and accomplish that goal. Um, and I, and I cheer women when, when I have women go, you know, running past me, I'm like, you go, girl, you, <laughs> yep. you, go, you go get that finish line because I'm not keeping up with you. Um, but athletes come in all different shapes and sizes. This is where I was going on this. I, I read with a road with a gal on, on uh, ride the Rockies who, you know, you, you wouldn't, by just looking at her, you wouldn't think she'd be a great rider, but she was a strong, strong woman and, um, you know, could, could power through that ride just as good as anybody. And, and, uh, so I think it'd be good if we stopped judging people by how they're, by their appearance more and just, um, what they're able to accomplish. Yeah, I would say that all the time, especially because I, I taught spin and I was a coach and a fitness trainer. And one of the things I would say to that very point was stop looking in the mirror, stop looking at the scale and please look at what you can accomplish and don't compare it up the road, down the road or to your friend or to anything online. It's like, what did you do that was that was it. Right. Because like, you know, if they, if they've got two kids and they're struggling and they get to a spin class, it's like, look, there's empty bikes here and you made it. Right. And so, yeah. Could you be taller? Could you be 10 pounds lighter? Yeah, of course. But like in the moment, what you've, and this is not like, um, you know, affirmations and like, you know, overstating it, but like, just keep it in context, keep it in the moment. And like what you did is pretty good and just focus on that. And like, don't judge by appearances and don't judge by body metrics. It's like, man, you went out for a 10 mile ride. That's awesome. It's way better than zero. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a friend, friend, Dane Rauschenberg, who's an ultra marathoner. Um, he, he did the 52 marathons in 52 weeks back in 2006 wow. and, um, you know, in one year period, but, uh, you know, he says, um, you, you can't cross the finish line if you don't start, uh, show up at the starting line first, first and foremost, but you know, you beat everybody, you beat everybody in that race who didn't show up. And, mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> Even the, even the last place finisher beat everybody who didn't show up and tow up, tow up to that starting line. And, and I think we were talking about this earlier, you know, uh, registering for an event, you know, start off with a 5K. Um, a lot of these longer rides, like you were talking about, have uh, shorter, you know, 20, 30-mile versions. And show up, start at the finish line cross the, fin I mean, show, start the starting line, cross the finish line, and then set your next goal. And, and if you just keep, keep constantly doing that, we were talking about New Year's resolutions earlier. I don't like to do New Year's resolutions other than maybe just on New Year's Day, go sign up for a race. 
because sign up for a race is going to be a better motivator for me than just, you know, saying something arbitrarily that I want to accomplish uh, in a resolution, uh, because it's actually going to be a tangible thing to, that I'm going to work toward. Yeah. Well, Darren, one of the things I've enjoyed so much about this podcast is connecting and reconnecting. And I just want to say, you know, thanks again for the donation. And, um, it was just wonderful to reconnect with you, hear from you again, and, you know, dive into these stories that I, I knew a little bit about with you. And, uh, yeah, thanks for just making the time and, and, uh, really appreciate your friendship. Thank you. Likewise, Matt, and, and thank you for the opportunity to donate. That was the th- the aha moment for me in raising money for MS was that that you stop thinking about asking people for money and think about giving them the opportunity to participate in something good. And um, you know, I didn't do an MS ride this year because I just moved to California. I haven't actually found one in Modesto, California. I'm not sure if there is one. Um, so I so you gave me an opportunity with your LinkedIn posts to donate and do something good uh, for a cause that I believe in. And, and for, I know so many people living with MS uh, every day and the challenges that, that, that comes with that. And, you know, the research that, that you're helping fund through your efforts of getting out there and doing that ride is going to make a difference in somebody's life. And, and you gave me an opportunity to participate in that. So I appreciate that. Cool. You're welcome. Well, with that, uh, hold on one sec, Darren. I'll hit stop on this and then uh, appreciate the time, brother. Thanks. Yeah, thank you, Matt. This was fun. Tech episodes of this podcast are now supported by Furos.io. That is F-U-R-O-S.io. Furos is a Denver cloud consulting firm. And chances are, if there's a big building in downtown Denver with their logo on the outside of it, Furos has got people in there doing some very interesting work that has an impact on those businesses. They focus on AWS, cloud consulting, and their mantra is simple. Hire the best people they can, pay them really well, and let them work on challenging, interesting projects that have impacts on the business. So if you are struggling with the cloud, and I know that's a really overused word in the tech space, and projects aren't getting done, and you need some help, look them up, furos.io, that is F-U-R-O-S dot I-O.